Let's pray. Father, we are just so grateful to be in your house. God, to be in your presence. You said that where two or three are gathered, you are there in the midst of them. God, so we just thank you that your presence is already here. God, that you are living, that you are moving, that you are speaking, that the God of all time is in this room. And so we just posture our hearts to receive what you're doing in this place, God. And we thank you for all that you've done, all that you're doing, and for all that is to come. God, we say this morning that we just, we trust you. God, would you restore hope in this room and in our world? God, would you restore joy right now? Would you help us to go deeper with you? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Blessed be God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name through Christ our Lord. Jesus said the first commandment is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And as we celebrate, prepare to celebrate the mystery of Christ's love, let us acknowledge our sins and ask the Lord for pardon and strength. Most merciful God, I confess that I have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what I have done and by what I have left undone. I have not loved you with my whole heart. I have not loved my neighbors as myself. I am truly sorry, and I humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on me and forgive me, that I may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. True repentance, amendment of life, in the grace and consolation of his Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Glory be to God on high, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. We praise thee, we bless thee, we worship thee, we glorify thee. We give thanks to thee for thy great glory. O Lord God, heavenly King, God the Father Almighty, O Lord, the only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. O Lord God, Lamb of God, Son of the Father, that takest away the sins of the world, have mercy upon us. Thou that takest away the sins of the world, receive our prayer. Thou that sittest at the right hand of God the Father, have mercy upon us. For Thou only art holy, Thou only art the Lord. Thou only, O Christ, with the Holy Ghost, art most high in the glory of God the Father. It never runs out. 
Hallelujah, Lord. So I remember that when I was home watching the service, it was very hard to sing along because I wasn't in the room with everybody. But this is Christ the King Sunday, and this song is important. And I want Kristen to play it again. And I want you guys at home that can't be here to sing along, find a way, embarrass your kids. It's reminded of the movie Elf. You're not singing, you're just moving your lips. You need to sing out and you need to believe the words that we're singing here. It's important. It's a confession to our governor that he's not our not the Lord's rival and everybody else who's trying to stop us from singing. Let's sing out to the Lord. Amen. messing with me? Well, don't you feel better now that you sang that and confessed the truth? Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Let us pray together the Colette. Almighty and everlasting God, whose will it is to restore all things in your well-beloved Son, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Mercifully grant that the peoples of the earth, divided and enslaved by sin, may be freed and brought together under his most gracious rule 
who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. You may be seated. This morning's first reading is from Ezekiel, chapter 34, beginning in verse 11. For thus says the Lord God, Indeed, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock on the day he is among his scattered sheep, so I will I seek out my sheep and deliver them, from all the places where they were scattered on a cloudy and dark day. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them to their own land. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, in the valleys and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them in good pasture and their fold shall be on the high mountains of Israel. There they shall lie down in a good field, fold, and feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock, and I will make them lie down, says the Lord God. I will seek what was lost and bring back what was driven away. Bind up the broken and strengthen what was sick. But I will destroy the fat and the strong and feed them in judgment. Therefore, thus says the Lord God to them, Behold, I myself will judge between the fat and the lean sheep, because you have pushed with side and shoulder, butted all the weak ones with your horns, and scattered them abroad. Therefore, I will save my flock, and they shall no longer be a prey, and I will judge between sheep and sheep. I will establish one shepherd over them, And he shall feed them, my servant David. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David, a prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please stand for reading this psalm. This morning's psalm is Psalm 95. And we'll read it responsibly by the asterisk. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with song. For the Lord is the great God. And the great King above all gods. In his hand are the deep places of the earth. The heights of the hills are his also. The sea is his, for he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, as in the day of trial of the wilderness. When your fathers tested me, they tried me, though they saw my work. For forty years I was grieved with that generation. And I say, it is the people who go astray in their hearts, and they do not know my ways. 
So I swore in my wrath. They shall not enter my rest. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. This morning's second lesson comes from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 5, beginning in verse 21. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward those who are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death, for he has put all things under his feet. But when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who put all things under him is accepted. Now when all things are made subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him, that God may be all in all. The word of the Lord. The Gospel of our Lord according to St. Matthew. Glory be to thee, O Lord. St. Matthew chapter 25, beginning in verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the holy angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory. All the nations will be gathered together before Him, and He will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And He will set the sheep on His right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. The gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee, Lord Christ. You may be seated. So today is Christ the King Sunday, as you heard. And I'm not going to talk the entire time about Christ the King Sunday, but I do feel the need to mention that today we celebrate the fact that Jesus Christ is actually the Lord over all the earth. That there is no rival, there is no equal, now and forever He is reigning, right? So no matter what we see in the world, 
we can actually affirm with all certainty that Christ the King is Lord over all creation. That he paid the price, he was honored by being raised from the dead by God, and he ascended, and he now has the name that is above every name. And there is not a single person or principality or power in the world that will not bow and declare that Jesus is Lord. That's something that could have books written out about it. It has had books written about it. It could have a sermon series about it. But I just wanted to remind you as we go into what we're talking about today, keep that in mind because when you have that perspective, then everything that we talk about every Sunday, everything that we worship the Lord for makes sense in the context of the fact that Jesus is king over all the earth. It doesn't make sense if he hasn't already won the victory. But since we know that, we can actually walk out the things that we preach on Sunday. We can actually walk out the words that we sing in our worship songs. So today we're actually going to talk about something that is should be on our minds. It's called Thanksgiving. You all know that comes this Thursday, right? And we're going to talk about what does that mean? What is important about Thanksgiving? And I just have to say, it is probably one of the most countercultural things in the world to have a holiday dedicated to thanking God for the existence of our country, dedicated to thanking God for the fact that we get to live in freedom. Now, obviously, we know that most of what you're going to see this week in the, on the TV, from uh, various sitcoms that do their Thanksgiving specials, most of it has nothing to do with thanking God for the fact that we have our freedom, that we live in a wonderful free country. Most of what you're going to see this week is not even going to talk about that. And, well, I'm not really going to talk about it either today. What we're going to talk about is the larger concept of what it means to be grateful Although I do think it's very important that we remember, especially in this time when it feels like that is not a story anywhere to be found, we need to be grateful for the fact that we live in a country that allows us, sort of, to gather and worship the Lord our God and to declare the truth that we get to declare every Sunday. So we're going to talk about Thanksgiving, and I titled this message, The Life-Changing Power of Gratitude. Because I felt like being really dramatic, it sounds like a Hallmark card, right? The Life-Changing Power of Gratitude. But I really do believe that there is power in gratitude to change our lives today. So let's open with some prayer. Lord Jesus, I just thank you that I get the opportunity once again to come before your people and to share the words that you have given us in your scripture and the concepts that you've been teaching me in my own life. And I thank you that I, in all humility, can trust that you will work through my words, that it's not about power nor might, but it's by your spirit that you accomplish the work that you're looking to accomplish today. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to say something that's probably more obvious than anything I've ever said from the pulpit, and that is that today, in this day and age, in 2020, November, whatever day today is, people are anxious. People are anxious. You see it everywhere. You hear about it everywhere. I heard this new phrase. It's called uh, pandemic fatigue. Uh, they're talking about the counselors. They're talking about the mental health crisis because people are anxious. And, you know, there's an interesting thing in Christianity where we actually have the answer to the world's problems. We actually are entrusted with the keys of the kingdom of God, which is the answer to the problems of the world. So today we're going to unlock 
What does Scripture have to say about Thanksgiving, and how does that have to do with the anxiety that's going on today? Because I want you to know that if you're feeling anxious, it's not, how do I say it? It's not because you're terrible and you don't trust God enough and you need to just dust yourself off and grin and bear it and you're going to be fine and how could you be anxious? Jesus is on the throne. Amen. We're done. That's not what we're talking about when we're answering the problems of the world. It's not realize what we have to tell you and then you won't be anxious anymore. What it is is if you're anxious, you're in, you're actually taking in the reality that we live in chaos right now, that there is evil people and organizations who are fighting against the purposes of God in this world. There is the enemy of our faith who is looking to seek whom he may devour. And there are crazy circumstances in our country right now that are causing a spirit of anxiety and depression to be prominent in our culture. So if you are feeling anxious this morning, I want to tell you not you suck for feeling anxious. No, I want to tell you that's normal and Jesus has an answer for you. God has an answer for your anxiety. It is okay to acknowledge that we feel anxious sometimes, that we feel angry, that we feel hopeless, but we can't stay there. We can't live there. I think sometimes we feel overwhelmed, we feel anxious, and then we justify it. We want to reason with ourselves Well, I have a right to be anxious. I have a right to be angry. And so we go through in our mind and we start spinning out of control. Well, this happened and this happened. Can you believe this happened? And we have all these reasons why we're allowed to stay in our anger and our anxiety. But throughout Scripture, we're called out of that place. We're called out of that place into joy and peace and righteousness. So we're going to look at a couple scriptures that specifically deal with the problem of anxiety. And this one, it's just a classic, but we're going to really break it open, and I think we're going to find some wisdom here. It's Philippians 4, 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in the knowledge of Christ Jesus. Philippians 4. All right. So we're going to unpack that a little bit. First of all, he starts with a command. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. He's emphasizing this, right? He's saying rejoice. But I don't want to rejoice. Sometimes I don't feel like rejoicing. Well, he wouldn't have to command it if it was natural, right? It's in here because he knows you're going to encounter things that don't feel joyful, that don't cause you to say praise the Lord in a natural response. We actually are called to change our heart, our response to our situation. But there's a promise in that, right? Because God doesn't command what he won't empower you to accomplish. Right? We trust that God's the one that accomplishes the work in our life. And so if he's commanding you to rejoice, that means that joy is at hand. That there's a possibility that you can enter into joy. Rejoice in the Lord sometimes, when you feel like it. No, always. So there's always a chance for you to respond with rejoicing. And that's obviously not fake happiness. Sometimes, and rightly so, 
Haley will challenge me when we're going through a difficult situation and I'm trying to phrase it in the light of what I know about Jesus. And she says, but isn't that just pretending that everything's okay? And that is one way to go. You can just be that guy, and I definitely fall into this trap sometimes, where everything's fine. Let's just, you know, money's hard. Let's just go out to eat, and we'll declare by faith that everything's fine. That's not what I mean when I say rejoice in the Lord always. It's not pretend that your difficulty doesn't exist. It's press in to see God's perspective. And we're going to move a little forward here and we'll start to see that, right? He doesn't just say rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Peace. You're great. Awesome. No, there's actually some instruction here for us. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. That one it seems like a non sequitur, right? It's like, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. What's he saying here? There's a bunch of different words you could use for that. It could be gentleness, reasonableness, graciousness, forbearance. We don't have the exact analog for that word, but what he's saying is when things start to spiral out of control, don't respond in anger. Don't respond in fear. Don't respond by trying to rev up your engine and fix all the problems. That's my other thing I fall into, right? When things start to go sideways, I just work really, really hard. And I'm going to fix it. I'm going to do this. And I'm going to call this person. And I'm going to do that. And I'm going to figure out a way to make this problem go away. That's not what he means when he's saying, let your gentleness be known to all. And you know what? When I start to rev up, the reason I can feel that I'm moving outside of what God wants for me is because then if somebody interrupts me when I'm trying to fix a problem, then I get angry and I am not gentle, right? Then I'm angry because I want to fix the problem by my own strength. And I'm so confident in my ability to fix it. And then it's, somebody comes in and they're interrupting what I'm doing or they're throwing a cog in the machinery and it's not working the way I want it to work. Then I get angry because... There's something here that we need to know, right? When you're facing those difficulties and you remember the injunction to rejoice in the Lord always, part of that is to acknowledge that you might not be able to handle your situation. That you in your own strength don't have the ability to overcome the things that are coming at you in your life. We often say you'll never be tempted beyond what you're able As if somehow, once you become a Christian, you're a superman who's going to encounter everything in your life and respond perfectly. That's not what he's talking about when he said that. He said, you will not be tested beyond where you're able, but God will provide a way of escape. What that means is God will rescue you from those situations if you will turn to him when you come against things that are absolutely beyond your ability. And he might take you through the, the, the valley, the valley of the shadow of death. He, but the promise in that verse is that even if you face something that looks like it's going to destroy you, God will bring you through and he will rescue you. So when it says, let your gentleness be known to all, the very next words tell you why you can let your gentleness be known at all, uh, be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Let your gentleness be known to all. The Lord is at hand. At hand is like near you, like right there. He's with you as you encounter the situation where you know you need to rejoice, but you just can't. You feel like you need to fix it. God is at hand, and he is on your side. He wants to work with you. He wants to bring you through it. Furthermore, let's continue. Do not be anxious about anything. 
That's a hard word. And I mean that in the sense that it's a great promise. Because like I said, he won't command something that he doesn't want to empower you to do, to accomplish. There's actually a call for the Christian that you can live without anxiety. Now, of course, like I said in the beginning, you might experience anxiety, but you don't have to stay there. You don't have to be stuck there. Do not be anxious for anything. So what do we do instead of being anxious? Do this instead, it says, or but. (laughs) Do this instead. In everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. So thanksgiving, gratitude, is part of the solution to anxiety. What does that mean in this context? In everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Why are those connected? Why is prayer and thanksgiving connected? Because thanksgiving creates the context where your prayers can be effective. When you take the posture of thanksgiving, then your prayers are kept on target. Sometimes we pray for the wrong things. Sometimes we encounter a situation and we say, God, just get me out of here. And God's like, yeah, I set this all up. I wanted you to be where you're at. I actually led you to this difficult situation. But instead, when we have Thanksgiving, where we're putting it in light of what God has done and is doing and will do in our life, then we can trust him. And then he can direct our focus. Because sometimes we're so desperate for something Maybe it's just something that you feel like you need in your life and you're begging God to give it to you and God knows that if he gave it to you, it would lead to your destruction. Or God's trying to accomplish something in you that doesn't include the thing you're praying for. But when we put it in the light of thanksgiving, when we thank the Lord, and you'll see that even in our liturgies, right? We always begin by worshiping the Lord, by thanking God in every one of our liturgies, in the daily office, in our Sunday services, because that puts our heart in the right place posture to let our requests be made known to God. And then the promise, right? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. What a beautiful promise. We hear that constantly throughout our life as Christians. You might hear that brought up again and again, the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. The one thing I'll say about that is that there's a reason it says which surpasses all understanding. And it's because when Paul's writing this, this super encouraging, happy, fluffy sounding word, he's actually in prison, as you may know. He's been beaten. He's stuck. And you know what? He doesn't leave prison. This is the end for him. He ends up dying in prison in Rome. We don't know if he was executed exactly or if he um, passed away from infirmity. There's a whole line on that. It seems like he was martyred and he was killed. But the point that I'm saying is this is one of the last letters that we get from Paul. And then he dies in prison or executed. And yet he's telling us the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ. That's what I want. I want that. I really do. Trust me, it has been such a year. I think we all know that. We're all looking forward to God to break through at certain areas in our life. I've talked to so many people who are struggling in so many different ways. And what they need is they need God's peace, which surpasses all understanding. Okay, fine. But with everything going on, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. With all the chaos in this world, how am I supposed to live out my life? I can try that, but it doesn't always work. Or maybe I believe it won't work and I just haven't tried it. 
I don't know if I believe I can have peace in the midst of this chaos. Well, let's, let's go back into this, right? Let's look for the, what's the will of Christ for us today in this chaos. We'll read 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18. It's going to sound very familiar. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in all, uh, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So maybe you didn't get it the first time. We're going to hit that all those concepts. We're just going to do those all over again. You ready? We're going to talk about what does it mean to rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks, or give thanks in all circumstances. This is the same guy, Paul, right? He had a theme with his teachings. Rejoice always, even when that guy cuts you off on the freeway and then goes slower than you were going. Even when you encounter difficulties in your life, there's a call to rejoice. And as we talked about before, this has to do not with feelings of joy and happiness. This has to do with making a choice. Pray without ceasing. So this kind of elaborates, right? We're talking about in everything, make your prayer and your supplication known to God with thanksgiving. Here's pray without ceasing. So what's he saying here? He's saying that he's not asking you to kneel for 24 hours a day at the church and pray without ceasing. He's asking that in the midst of your life, as you encounter the things of your life, as you're working in your job, as you're speaking with your wife, as you're having difficulties with your car, keep your mind set on Christ. That's what pray without ceasing is. It's like keep the communication open. I know that this works, trust me, because there have been times where Haley, I've been, Haley and I have been arguing, and we get to a point where it doesn't feel like there's a way out. At least not in the immediate sense, you know, like we're, we're grounded, we know we're going to figure it out eventually, but at the moment it's like, I don't want to talk to you anymore. And there'll be that little voice, if I stop and I don't let my anger get away with me, and I stop and I listen, and God will say, let me come into this situation. And I'll just stop and I'll ask Jesus, I need your help. I'm not good enough. I don't know if you guys know this. I'm sure you do because I know it very well. I'm not good enough to be a husband to an awesome wife like Haley. Like she's awesome. She's talented. She's an amazing mother. I love being with her. But I'm not good enough to be the husband that I'm called to be. And although it might not be evident to most of us, but Haley's not good enough to be a wife to me. She needs Jesus in our life to help us accomplish the roles that we've been called to, to be transformed into the people that God's called us to be, to be the father and mother to the wonderful children that we have. We need Jesus. And so that's what pray without ceasing is. It's stop trying to do everything on your own. God wants to be with you. The Lord is at hand. He wants to be guiding you through each of those complicated situations and give thanks in all circumstances. So there's a story, right? Nehemiah, we talked about it a couple months ago. And Nehemiah is trying to rebuild Jerusalem, which has been destroyed for 400 years. And he gets this miraculous opportunity where the king of the people that, was it Babylon? Did they become Syria? I don't know. King of Babylon, right, sends him back to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. He has the, he has the material. He has the men. He's getting about the work. And they encounter problem after problem. But from the very beginning, he takes some of the men who are meant to rebuild Jerusalem, and he just puts them in the temple, the broken down temple, and he says, give thanks to God. That's your job. 
They're like, shouldn't we be like laying bricks? Shouldn't we be doing all this stuff, fighting off the people who are trying to intimidate them and war skirmish against them? And they're like, no, 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 no. Your job is to give thanks to God for what he's doing here. Because there was such a value on gratitude and thanksgiving as a war. We know we don't fight against just flesh and blood. There might be people who come against you, but we are fighting against a different battle. And gratitude is one of the main weapons you can use to fight off the enemy when you're trying to accomplish the purposes of God. It's going to take disciplined choices. It's going to take character. The opposite of thanksgiving, we're really good at it, it's complaining, right? I am a world-class complainer. I can find something wrong with just about anything if I let myself do that. In fact, growing up, I got in trouble over and over and over again for complaining, for having a bad attitude. And this is something that we fall into and we think that we're justified in doing it. But all we do when we complain about our circumstances, and of course, there's a difference between going to somebody and saying, hey, this is hard. How can you, what can I do? Can you help me think through this? Or I just need somebody to hear what's going on in my life. That is different. That's called sharing. But it easily can become complaining in our hearts because of our attitudes. What does complaining do? Complaining actually undermines our faith. It's basically telling God, I don't trust you in this circumstance. Right? Because if God really is on the throne, if Jesus is the king of our life, and he is working all things for our benefit, then our complaints are just telling him, I don't like the way you're running the show. Now, of course, we get ourselves into situations that are hard and difficult. And maybe you don't have to go through the same amount of pain if you were to follow God's way. There's a balance here, right? I'm not saying everything that happens in our life is a direct move on the chessboard by Jesus and that, oh, we should give thanks for the difficulties. In fact, I'm not saying that at all. What I am saying is that even in the difficulties, we can keep a heart of thanksgiving. We can thank God for what he's done what he's doing, and what he will do. So let's be clear one more time, right? We're not asking, Paul's not asking us to give thanks for the difficult things in our life. Maybe God would give you the grace to give thanks for some of the difficulties in your life. Maybe there are things that are really him just trying to shape you, and you could look back and say, wow, that hard thing or that difficult job was such a blessing to me. But there are things that we encounter in our, our life that are contrary to God's will. God's directing the whole universe, but you know what? He didn't will for us to experience death and tragedy and loss. That's a consequence of the fall. And so if let's just put that out there. If somebody you know and love has died, God is the enemy of that. And we don't have to thank God that that person died. There's some twisted theology out there that tries to make it that, like let's say, for instance, like my sister who lost her first baby, Liam. Does Kimberly have to go around saying, thank you, Jesus, for a miscarriage? Absolutely not. God is the enemy of death. But can she maintain a heart of thankfulness that God is moving in her life, that God is redeeming that situation, that Liam is in heaven forever, and that in the end all shall be well and all manner of things shall be well? Absolutely. So it's not about being the happy-go-lucky pretend that nothing is wrong. 
guy. It's not about thanking God for things that are painful and difficult that God never intended. It's about remembering the perspective that we are living in a moment of eternity. And that in the end, the balance is all good. In the end, God can redeem every situation that you go through in your life. If he can redeem a torturous death on the cross, then he can redeem the difficult things that we go through, our own crosses that we're called to bear. What the enemy means for evil, God means for good. And when you remain thankful in the midst of those things, it takes the sting out of those things that the enemy wanted to use for your downfall. The enemy might have actually have designs on your life. And he thinks, this, this situation, I'm going to get them. I'm going to get them to complain. I'm going to get them to reject what God has promised them. I'm going to cause fear in their life and sow disunity. I'm going to use this situation. But you know what? You have a God who is working at that same moment to redeem that situation. And when you choose thankfulness over complaining, when you choose gratitude in the midst of your suffering, then you turn the tables. It becomes a moment of victory in your life. When you can take the difficulties you're facing and you can turn them into an opportunity to praise the Lord for what he's doing in your life. And I'm going to tell one more story and we'll close up today. In Psalm 90, excuse me, Psalm 95 that we read uh, this morning, it says, and it's, re- it's re- referring to the, uh, the Israelites, right? It's talking about give thanks in the Lord always. It's talking about that gratitude. And then it says, but today if you will hear... His voice, if you will hear God's voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. As in the day of trial in the wilderness, when your fathers tested me, they tried me, though they saw my work. Okay, so we're just going to talk about that. Psalm 95, verse 8 and 9. Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, as in the day of trial in the wilderness, when your fathers tested me, they tried me, though they saw my work. So what's going on here? What's happening is, if you've seen Prince of Egypt, you'll know Uh, deliver us, you know, the people of Israel were stuck in Egypt, in slavery. And they're calling out to God to deliver them from the slavery that they're in, to deliver them from Egypt, this tyrannical power. We have difficulty imagining what it would be like to be in that type of bondage. We're talking about whippings, beatings, their firstborn males being killed, thrown to crocodiles. I mean, it's terrible. And they're calling out for deliverance. And God, through his mighty power and through his providence, in a way that nobody could have expected, rescues the Israelites out from the most powerful nation in the world. He sets them free and he makes them rich. The the Egyptians, literally, by the end of it, are piling on gold and jewelry. They're giving them their cattle. They're giving them wealth and saying, get out of here. Go be free. And they get to the wilderness. And what do they say? They encounter some difficulty in their life and they go, I wish I was in Egypt. I remember uh, the Veggie Tales, right? Veggie Tales, they have the Joshua and the big wall. It's a whole, there's so much good stuff about that. But you remember the grouchy old grape, like, it was better in Egypt. You know, it's like, that's what they're doing. They're, they're complaining. They're complaining. They're calling out to God. You set, he just set them free from the most powerful nation in the entire world. And yet they're complaining and saying, I wish we were in Egypt. At least there we had food and water. Now, they were encountering difficulty. It's not a small thing for thousands of people to be in a desert with no food and water. That seems like a hopeless situation. But what God wanted them to do at that moment was to see the bigger picture. 
All throughout the Old Testament, he tells them again and again, remember what I did for you in Egypt. What's he saying? He's not saying, I need you to worship me so I can feel good about what I did for you. That's not what God's saying. He's saying, remember what I did for you in Egypt so when you encounter that situation that you cannot figure yourself out of, that you cannot redeem yourself. They didn't know what they were going to do about the food and the water. When you encounter that situation, you can remember, wait a second, God just did all these miracles and brought us out of Egypt. And you know what? When I was there, I couldn't have solved my way out of that either. And then they can thank God for what he's done in Egypt and trust that he actually has a plan for them, that he's brought them to a place that he will provide. That if God is leading them, and they literally had a cloud, a pillar of clouds by day and a pillar of fire by night. I mean, they had these massive demonstrations of the power of God leading them in this place. And they so quickly forgot who their provider was. They so quickly forgot who God was. That's what a lack of thanksgiving is. A lack of thanksgiving is forgetting who God is and what he's done in your life. You'd have to be blind spiritually to not be thankful for what he's done in your life. Each one of us have been called out of our own personal Egypts. Each one of us have been set free and redeemed and delivered. If you're in the kingdom of God, then you have literally been set free from the power of sin and death in your life. And yet we often think, or maybe it's just me, man, I wish that I had this or I wish that I had that. I wish I was back in Egypt, right? We are so quick to forget the power of God in our life. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about thankfulness. It's not about ignoring the particular challenge that you're facing today. It's not about not grieving for the tragedies that we encounter in the world. It's about keeping your perspective bigger than that. There's a bigger story. We need to constantly remember the places that God has rescued us from. If you're not thankful, you're blind or you just aren't seeing the whole picture. We've got to open up our eyes. So in conclusion, what are we going to do when we encounter the difficulty of life? Because I want to argue that when Paul says rejoice in the Lord always, he wasn't talking to people who were on the top of the world. He was talking to people who were under oppression and difficulty. And he said that particularly because that's when we need to hear it. It's actually fairly easy to rejoice when everything's going your way. Sometimes we forget that we're rejoicing in the Lord, but it's easy to rejoice, right? But when you wake up and it's really difficult and you don't have any coffee and Rowan took his diaper off and there's poop everywhere in the room and your husband is just annoying you, it's really hard. And then he starts singing, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. It's not fun. It's not easy sometimes when we encounter difficulty in our life. But I'm happy to be repeating the tradition where I've been that person who woke up and everything was going wrong. And my mom came in and said, rejoice in the Lord always. And I did not like it at the time. But over time, it shapes us. If we will choose joy, if we will choose to rejoice, if we will pray without ceasing, and if we will give thanks, we will be within the will of God for our life And when you're in the will of God, the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will keep you and guard your heart and mind in Christ. Amen? All right. Please stand. Let us continue with the Nicene Creed.
I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again, according to the scriptures, and ascended into heaven and is seated on the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge the living and the dead whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. And I believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life for the world to come. Amen. Let us pray for the church and for the world. Father, we pray for your holy Catholic Church. Grant that every member of the church may truly and humbly serve you. We pray for all bishops, priests, and deacons. We pray for all who govern and hold authority in the nations of the world. Give us grace to do your will in all that we undertake. Have compassion on those who suffer from any grief or trouble. Give to the departed eternal rest. We praise you for your saints who have entered into joy. Lord, we ask that you hear our prayers in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. The peace of the Lord be always with you. And with your spirit. Share the peace with your neighbor as much as you can. I know, right? <laughs> uh, the Lord be with you. And with thy spirit. I don't know if there's any announcements except for there's a uh, Thanksgiving is this week. That is this week. Uh, we want to pray for Bishop Kessler. He's, his back is still uh, causing a lot of pain and problems. And so uh, I know that he's watching right now, but we just want to continue to pray for him and Karen. Um, I know that the enemy kind of likes to take out the head, uh, and there's a lot of uh, spiritual attacks that I think that, you know, kind of happen in a church. And so we want to pray for Bishop for a quick healing and, and re- relief from the, the pain. Uh, there is going to be a Thanksgiving service at 10 o'clock on Thursday. Uh, I suspect it will be a small uh, congregation. Uh, is it going to be live streamed or on Facebook? Not planning on it. 
Okay, we'll talk but about that. But it can that. be. Yeah, so we'll talk about that and see how that goes. Uh, anyway, that's, that's the main thing. And then um, we will pass out information for the men about communicating with them. We normally have our men's meeting on Wednesday night. So we'll, you'll, you'll hear uh, instructions on how we're going to accomplish that this week. I think that's the only other amen thing. As we prepare to receive the body and blood of Christ in the Eucharist, let us respond to God's word by engaging with him in musical worship and presenting to God our tithes and offerings out of that which God has given to us. Together, through Christ, let us continually offer to God the sacrifice of praise, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. But do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God.
be with you. And with your spirit. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord our God. Right. Right. To give him thanks and praise. Father, all powerful and ever living God, we do well always and everywhere to give you thanks to Jesus Christ our Lord. For you anointed your only begotten Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, as eternal priest and King of all creation. So that by offering himself on the altar of the cross as a spotless sacrifice, he might accomplish the mysteries of human redemption and making all created things subject to his rule. He might present to you, God the Father, an eternal and universal kingdom, a kingdom of truth and life, a kingdom of holiness and grace, a kingdom of justice, love and peace. And so, with all the choirs of angels in heaven, we proclaim your glory and join in their unending hymn of praise. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Lord, you are holy indeed, the fountain of all holiness. Let your Holy Spirit come upon these gifts to make them holy, so that they may become for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Before he was taken up to, given up to death, a death he freely accepted, he took bread and he gave you thanks. He broke the bread and he gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When supper was entered, he took the cup. Again, he gave you thanks and praise. He gave the cup to his disciples and said, 
Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this for the remembrance of me. Let us therefore proclaim the mystery of our faith. Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Amen. In memory of his death and resurrection, we offer you, Father, this life-giving bread, this saving cup. We thank you for counting us worthy to stand in your presence and to serve you. May all of us who share in the body and blood of Jesus be brought together in unity by the Holy Spirit. Lord, remember your church throughout the world. Make us grow in love, together with our patriarch Craig, our Bishop Douglas, and with all the clergy. Remember those for whom we now pray. Olivia, Connie, Susan, Carl, Serena, Naomi, Rachel, Nadia, Kyle, Sonia, Sandra, Maria, Karen, David and Darcy, Tammy, Thomas, Kyla, Dan, Bishop Davidson, Jason, the Landon family, Gage, the Oki family, the Powells, the Marines and Sailors of Camp Pendleton, all those who serve. You may add other names of those you're praying for. draw our hearts to remember the poor and the broken. As we receive the body and blood of Jesus, may we be transformed to become the body of Christ through the world. Have mercy on us all. Make us worthy to share eternal life with the apostles, the martyrs, with the prophets, the St. Michael and all thy saints. May we praise you in union with him and give you glory through your son, Jesus Christ. By him, with him, and in him, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honor and glory is yours, our mighty Father, now and forever. Amen. Jesus taught us to call God our Father, and so we have the courage to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Hallelujah. Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. Hallelujah. O Lamb of God, you take away the sin of the world. O Lamb of God, you take away the sin of the world. O Lamb of God, you take away the sin of the world. The gifts of God for the people of God, take them in remembrance that Jesus died for you and feed on him in your hearts with thanksgiving. Blessed are those who are called to his supper. Mighty Christ broken for you.
retreat about gratitude and it was really you know the whole study was really eye-opening for me how much gratitude just helps us in our walk and helps us to have joy and um, one of the scriptures that really was such a revelation to me is Psalm 50 23 it says whoso offereth praise glorifieth me and to him who orders his conversation aright will I show the salvation of God 
And one of the translations says, To who, him who offers praise prepares the way for me to show my salvation to them. You know, God gave us all a free will. And I tell my kids all the time, I don't know what he was thinking, but <laughs> he gave us a free will. But when we offer praise in the midst of our difficulties, in the midst of trials and tribulations, we prepare the way for God to show his salvation. So just remember that this week. And when you're facing difficulties, he's bigger than all of it. And he wants to deliver us out of it and teach us a lot of things in it. So don't forget to offer praise. <laughs> we also have uh, Michael. Well, I never want to follow Mia, but, uh, <laughs> but um, you know, I just think that this Thanksgiving, it's really important to be edifiers, to uh, edify your loved ones. You know, I know my house is split politically, you know, in my whole family. Um, and, you know, I just early in this uh, quarantine, I've, God said, don't let your actions be your reaction your reactions be your actions towards other and we live in a reaction world we live in a very reactionary world and so i think it's really important to just humble yourselves this uh, thanksgiving and be edifiers to uh, your brothers your sisters your aunts your uncles and if they say something you don't like you know in the south they say bless your heart you know, find your way to say bless your heart to that person. and um, But just encourage and uplift them. And, I mean, if you want to make progress on the, the hard stuff, you've, you've got to be an edifier. you got to, and you got to praise God, and you got to uplift people. So that's what I want to say. So I don't know if you guys noticed in the Colette for today, it's such a powerful message. It says, that the world is divided and enslaved by sin. And you see people that are just trapped in addiction. They're just, they're even addicted to hate. I saw a bumper sticker the other way that said, love trumps hate. They love people who hate Trump, that whole concept of hate. And it's like, there's no life in that. And the answer in the Colette says that the people, and the, the cry in the Colette is, let people be freed and brought together under his most gracious rule. That is the answer for the world, is Christ and his most gracious rule. So you can always remember, you're not going to be able to win the arguments necessarily, even though some of us are very good at arguing. I look at my son. All my kids are pretty good at arguing. But it's his most gracious rule. That's what we need to remember. And as we are grateful... As Mia pointed out in that scripture, it makes the way for God to come in and to break, uh, to break through into people's lives. And I think that Michael's word about being an encouragement ties right in with that. So, amen. Let us pray and be thankful. Eternal God, Heavenly Father, you have graciously accepted us as living members of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And you have fed us with the spiritual food in the sacrament of his body and blood. Send us now into the world in peace and grant us strength and courage 
to love and serve you with gladness and singleness of heart. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. St. Michael the archangel, defend us in the battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all evil spirits who wander throughout the world, seeking the ruin of souls. For those of you who couldn't make it here today, and I know that there's a lot of restrictions and everything, we will have curbside communion outside, and I will go from here straight out there. So I hope to see a lot of you come to the curbside communion to receive the body of Christ. And to, I hope that you just are, are blessed. And that, as it says here, that the peace of God, which passes all understandings, will keep your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God, and of His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost be with you and those you love and care for now and forever. Amen. Gonna grab the crop. go forth into the world rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit. Thanks be to God.